Well, if you've been paying attention in the news lately, specifically 1819 news, uh, the topic of public education has been front and center. Uh, with the deterioration of that institution of public education, a lot of people are talking about alternatives. One of the alternatives that I want to introduce today that I think needs to get way more attention than it's getting is the classical Christian education movement or just classical education period. So today we're going to talk about classical Christian education. We have Dr. Ben Merkel, the president of New St. Andrews, which is a classical Christian liberal arts college in Idaho. Uh, I met him in Alabama, so it counts, and he gets to be on 1819. He's coming on to talk to us about um, public education, the history of classical Christian education. What is it? What is liberal arts? And what is New St. Andrews? You don't want to miss out. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 News, the podcast where we're in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama with each podcast we record and publish. Uh, I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. We've got a great episode today. Uh, education has been in the news big time with a lot of the crazy things that we're seeing of what they're trying to foist upon our children and the perversions and things like that. Um, the conversation of alternatives is is really, really big. And one of the things that I think should be coming up more in those discussions about alternatives is classical education, and it's not coming up as much. So I thought it would be great uh, to reach out to a guy who's uh, very well-versed in it as he is running a classical Christian liberal arts college in in Moscow, Idaho. We have du- uh, Dr. Ben Merkel uh, joining us today. He is the president of New St. Andrews, a uh, really incredible um, classical Christian um, college in Moscow, Idaho. Dr. Ben Merkel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be with you in this conversation. It's a very important one. Absolutely. So uh, a little bit of back history um, I met Ben in Alabama at a, uh, it was a masculinity conference, if you will. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast is, you know, how do we fix our country? How do we fix Alabama? Well, it always comes down to, we need our men to be men. We need our fathers to be fathers. We need our pastors to not be cowards. Um, these type of things is a consistent thing that continues to come up. And so we were actually, um, at a, um, a conference, uh, I think it was called the Stronghold Conference. Do you remember what the name of it was, Ben? Strong something, Stronghold. Strong something, Strong Man Pot. You know, that's what it was something. But yeah. uh, it was it was a really, really great event. Uh, I had Vody Bauckham there. Um, ben got to speak after Vody, I think, which is never the, the place that you want to speak. But uh, he gave uh, a really, really good speech. And it was funny because I think I, I said um, that particular conference proved that racism doesn't exist as it used to because you had a whole bunch of people from uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi were all driving all over for hours, dragging their families to this conference to have a black guy teach them how to be a good dad, right? Yep. Because, and that was essentially it. It was Vody Bauckham was the big headliner and stuff, and it was a phenomenal conference. And in that conference, I got to meet Ben. Uh, I admired Ben. Ben's wife, um, Rebecca Merkel, uh, is an author of a book that radically changed my life and my my wife's life specifically, which changed my life. Um, and my wife is a huge admirer uh, of, of Ben's wife, Rebecca, and um, really just started reading all the books that Canon Press started putting out. And and they it's just been 
unbelievably helpful in navigating these waters and these times and how to how to be faithful fathers and and have faithful families. So grateful for your guys' work uh, as a family and also your work at New St. Andrews. Well, thanks. It's again, it's a it's a definitely a privilege to be here. Awesome. Well, um, we'll dive right in. So um, the state of education is, uh, I don't know that it could get any worse. I don't want to say that because I don't want to see where worse is from here. Uh, yeah. you know, so, um, we recently, um, you know, just, uh, did a story on 1819 news that there's this organization that is, you know, basically teaching pagan sexual ethics to, to children and some of the people in the state that are involved with it and all this stuff. And it's just, I cannot believe that this is happening in my lifetime and I'm only 37 and I feel like one of those old people that's like, well, I never thought I'd see this in my day. Well, it's like, I'm 37 and I was five years ago. It wasn't this crazy, but it was on track to be. Um, and so, you know, I am going to play as neutral as I possibly can in this conversation. And I'm going to ask Ben to convince us of why we should consider removing our children from the public education system. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, well, I think what you're describing right there is um, a, a lot of a lot of what's been going on for a long time is slowly starting to become really crystal clear. So it's not so much that things have swerved; it's more that suddenly a light is shining on it, which, in one sense, is actually a really positive thing. I think that there's really a major um, shift that is afoot, and and the first part of it is us suddenly realizing what's going on and getting really alarmed. So it looks scary at first, but that's actually, I think, good news because we're finally looking at it. I know um, just here in Idaho, I think it was even in our, our own local uh, public school district, uh, there is an initiative in the sex ed, uh, um, in the sex ed curriculum um, with a, a specific goal of introducing and normalizing pornography to uh, elementary, like like middle elementary, teaching them how to access, how to normalize, how to not um, stigmatize it as a negative thing, that this is a healthy and good thing that everybody ought to be exploring. And so your your kids are being going to school in elementary school to be taught how to um, access porn and how to use it. Um, that's that's just getting increasingly um, common. It's just that we're starting to understand and hear about it more. I do think that the COVID moment um, is a really surprising blessing to us. I think a lot of people suddenly realize that, um, you know, when their kids are at home and they're watching over their shoulder on Zoom and realizing what's going on, um, they're starting to see how, how bad this is, as well as um, there are a lot of alternative um, um, well, I, I shouldn't say it that way. There are a lot of sort of gimmicks that have entered into education that are replacing real true education with this kind of gimmicky learning. Um, and COVID really brought that out where you had a lot of really simplified um, lesson plans, exercises that um, were supposed to stand in for actual learning. But uh, you may have seen in the news recently, we're starting to get the um, the the reports on what is the state of learning in our K-12 system. And basically, we fell way behind during the COVID moment because of all of this leaning on, on online learning and this more gimmicky form of education. But that's something that's been, um, we've been moving towards for a long time. It's not rigorous. It's not real. It's just indoctrination. It's the ability to um, uh, basically puppet certain certain lines in a very, very sort of uh, simple way, but you're not being challenged to think critically. 
Um, now, you're talking about the K to 12 world, and most of my um, most of my anecdotes information are from the the higher ed world. But I do think that it's part of the same system. So I think evidence of what's going on in higher ed is just further evidence of what's going on in that K to 12 world. So, yeah. so one example that I've been quoting a lot is there, there is a workload survey that has been um, going on since 1960 for college students, asking them basically how did they use their hours. And in 1960, the average college student spent 40 hours a week on college. Um, and that, uh, which is uh, not surprising. That's expect that's a full-time job. You go to college, full-time job, 40 hours a week. And that includes going to class and studying, writing papers. So it's in class and out of class work preparing for those classes. You assume a minimum full-time load is 12 credit hours. So 12 hours in class, that would mean 28 hours a week studying to be ready for those classes. In um, 20. 18 or 19, I forget which, that was the most recent information I saw. And that number had gone from 40 hours a week down to 17 and a half hours a week. So again, you still have to do 12 hours in class. That means they're spending five and a half hours a week studying, writing papers and preparing for those classes. Five and a half hours. So it used to be 28. Now it's five and a half. So that's less than one fifth as much time. Um, college has gotten just silly. It, yeah. It's not, it's not hard. You don't have to work hard. You're not being engaged, not being pushed. Although at the same time, what's really interesting is, um, the, um, the, over that time, uh, you've become three times more likely to get an A in that class. So you have to work one fifth as hard as your 1960 predecessor, but you're three times more likely to get an A in him. So it's like everybody gets the participation ribbon, everybody gets the gold star, but nobody has to actually work. I think this is why, for instance, a lot of employers um, are really distraught when they get somebody coming out of college with a college degree that doesn't know how to work. Um, and they think that maybe it's like the, you know, they haven't been trained in the right skills or something like that. I think more often it's just playing these people have not, they don't know what it's like to like sit down at a desk and work hard and work hard for 40 hours a week. They haven't been exposed to that. And so it's a real shock to them. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other thing that you'll notice, uh, there was a book um, a few years ago published called, I think it was Education Adrift. And the authors were, were noting basically the way college um, has changed, the kind of education it's giving. And one of the things they pointed out was that um, over the first two years, over the first two years, your freshman, sophomore year, um, at least half of the students make no progress whatsoever in critical thinking or the standard skills that you think college is supposed to impart. And I think the, the reason why is because um, the first two years of college are mostly um, remedial because our K to 12 system is not doing the work that it used to do. Um, th this is why, for instance, you'll see so many students that are, um, able to uh, clep out of their freshman and sophomore year or do running start. Like so many people are able to graduate high school with their first two years of college completed. The reason why is because the first two years of college now are what you used to learn in mm. high school. Yeah. So if, if you've gotten a good K to 12 education, you really can step into most colleges at the junior year because they're not, they're not covering that anything new in their freshman, sophomore years. Um, 
because of how bad our our K to twelve system has become. So and I think the 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 business that college has turned into this government subsidized just freaking like fire hose of money just pouring into these places that it's like well it used to be colleges were measured on the the product right and the product was the people that would go out and were like wow this is a Harvard grad whoa this person's incredible. Now it's just like, well, we're getting this money and we basically just have to make this a place where we can get as much as many students in and through as we possibly can. And if we got to make the first two years basically middle school so that we can get these people in here and, and get those two years worth of, uh, you know, federally, you know, subsidized um, student loans uh, into our coffers and out of theirs, then that's what we do. The, fed- the federal money is a huge part of it. I mean, that, that that's definitely a big piece of it because um and there there's two things that are afoot one one is um one is the federal money but i would say even before that is our transformation in um what we believe in education is for so so um if you go to ephesians 5 paul describes that that um command to fathers to raise up their children the nurture and the admonition of the lord mm. um that nurture is that that word paideia which is this greek sense of like enculturation this yes. this idea of what does it mean to be a Christian? How do I see the world? How do I understand the world? How do I understand my place in it? That's what an education should do. And that um, that does teach you how to be a hard worker. It prepares you for a job, but also prepares you to be a husband, a father, it prepares you to be a citizen. It prepares you to be a member of a church, all, all of these attributes of life. And basically, you know, we have this dominion mandate from scripture that we're supposed to subdue the earth and, you know, transformed by the great commission, we're supposed to subdue the earth with the gospel, which is, it includes your vocation, your job, but it includes so much more. And a real, true, robust education teaches you that full orbed life that a Christian man or woman is supposed to embrace. But what we've done is we've made education is solely about um, certifying you to get a particular job. I'm certifying you to, do you know how to use Excel? Do you know how to use um, some basic coding? So, so we teach these specific skills, which um, important, I'm not diminishing that at all, but those are actually on the easier end of things to learn. The more difficult are things to learn are how to think about um, the world arguments, how to understand what's going on, how people are persuading you in a healthy or an unhealthy way, what is strategic, what is wise, how, how you're going to actually deploy these skills in the, in the real world. And we've stopped teaching that and we've reduced our education to the simplest possible form of it. I think one of the reasons why is because those are the easiest things to document. Um, so uh, whether you know how to think critically takes a lot of work to be able to teach and to be able to assess and all of that, whether you know how to use a particular um, formula for an Excel cell, um, that's quite simple and easy. So our schools gravitate towards the things that are easiest to demonstrate, even though they tend to, in the long run, say the least about that education that was received. Yeah. The reason why I think that that happens is because of the government money. when you get government money, you have to document that you've done something to get it. You have to have demonstrated somehow that you proved yourself useful to get that money. So the schools look for the paths that are the easiest to document in order to keep that money flowing. I think um, that's I think like a, a one-to-one of missions in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. So 
why did everyone start going into, you know, baptisms is like the, you know, is like, this is this unit of measure for success and missions is because, well, these people are dumping tons of money into these missions and they want to know how many professions and baptisms you got. And then so yeah. everything became hyper-focused rather than, you know, discipling people and training them up and, and giving them yeah. a robust faith. It was like, nope, we need professions and baptisms. And once that's done, yeah. move on. You know, it, it, it's weird how when there's tons of money pointed at something and then the thing that they want, that feedback loop, is is what everything is built around. That sounds kind of like what you're describing. Well, yeah, there's a, my father-in-law has told a joke before that I think it illustrates it well. So you got a, a, a man, he's, he's walking down the street at night and there's a man that's down on his hands, his hands and knees underneath a street light and he, he's searching around on the ground. And the guy says, Hey, you know, what, what's the matter? He said, I dropped my keys. And he said, well, can I, can I help you? And he says, sure. So they get down and they both are looking under this light for about 15 minutes. Can't find it at all. And then finally he says, man, are you sure this is where you dropped him? And, and the guy says, no, I dropped him about a hundred yards that way. So he says, well, why are we looking here? He said, well, because the light's better here. Um, <laughs> it's not that funny of a joke. I get it. But it illustrates, though, the, the point is frequently, um, and I see this all the time in business, people like to focus their decision over around the, the plainest and clearest metrics, Yeah. even when those metrics are not actually that informative or helpful. And so- um, I think a lot of education has gone this direction where we've 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 focused all of our stuff over things that can be um, quickly and easily numerically calculated and put into a PowerPoint presentation rather than the things that are the most meaningful. And so you're you're right. Um, um, when you were funding missions, we will be really simplistic and reducing it to the most simple metrics. You know, this amount of dollars, I, I remember going on a campus crusade project and having to report on, you know, how many times I shared the gospel, how many decisions to uh, receive Christ. And it's all about showing like your support money, what it pays for. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say, I mean, obviously a conversion is a wonderful thing, but it, it we were simplistically defining it. Yeah. Um, and I think that skews the, the decision-making in unhelpful ways. Yeah. Well, as I've heard you talk, there's a couple comparisons you said while kind of making the argument to move away from the public education system um, about uh, a child's odds of surviving the beaches of Normandy versus yeah versus the university. Yeah. There, there are a number of really interesting surveys out there that are. Um, the question is when a when a kid who is a regular Sunday attender at church um, leaves leaves church on um, out of high school and goes off to college, by the end of their freshman year, how many of them are still attending church or even considering themselves Christians? And you've got a number of different um, polls that all show pretty catastrophic, um, uh, uh, you know, devastation as these kids go off to college. Um, at, at least two-thirds of them are losing their faith, stopping going to church, um, and not identifying as Christians anymore which is pretty, pretty terrifying. And I, I remember one day sitting there and thinking, okay, what was the, what was the mortality rate for the Normandy beach invasion? And, and comparing those two, those two data points. And it was really interesting because you would be as a parent far better off putting your son or your daughter into the boats landing on the Normandy beach invasion than you are in sending them off to college these days. And, and 
it almost doesn't matter whether it's a secular college or a Christian college. It almost doesn't make a difference because of how um, sad our Christian colleges have gotten. But there, and the thing is on beaches of Normandy, they were losing their mortal life and our colleges, they're losing their immortal souls, which is a a really terrifying thing. Now I would say just to heed the lesson I just gave about don't use um, data um, simplistically. I think a lot of that casualty rate is not so much um, that they were strong, vibrant Christians their senior year in high school, and then they suddenly lost all of that their their freshman year at college. Most of these kids have lost it while in their K to twelve system. Yeah. They lost it in junior high and high school. They were just still going to church to please mom and dad, but their public school education has already indoctrinated them and prepared them for the apostasy that they were looking forward to when they went off uh, as a freshman in college, they were looking forward to that moment to not have to go to church anymore and now party like they always had wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And I think one of the ways I can break this down to maybe help people see what you're saying too. One of, one of our, our, our problems um, I think as a society in America is that, that we want the fruit without the root. We want the process or we want the product without the process. We want the apples without the orchards, right? Like we're very yeah. much in that. But when we really understand that there's a process that produces a product and we, we, we look at a product and we don't like the product, you have to go back and look at the process that created it. And again, I realize we're talking about spiritual things and, and, you know, um, you know, discipleship and, and, and gospel sharing and, and evangelism and conversions and living for Christ is not a, is not a, a widget factory. However, let's back up and just look at it. You, you know, your kids enter kindergarten, uh, to 12th grade, they spend seven hours a day in a public school that does not value Christ whatsoever. And and say you're not even a Christian, they don't they're they're teaching against your country and your constitution and all of these things that that just Western civilization has always held dear. They're there for seven hours. You pick them up, you take them to soccer practice or baseball practice or football practice or whatever. Then you get home, you probably ate McDonald's or something, or you, you know, some hamburger helper. Uh, and you go to bed and you get up and you do it all over again. And if you are a Christian, you do go to church. The only time that they're going is on Sunday and they're there for a couple hours and you weight that against that and you you times that by 12 or 13, I guess, K through 12. And then you launch them off into the, the, the public universities. It's really, um, it's, it's really actually kind of amazing that any of them make it when, yeah. when, when you break it down that way. <laughs> You're right. It is pretty shocking. And I would say um, one of the things you've got the educational process, which is a huge thing that we have to recover. We should talk about that. But but even just prior to that, one of the probably even more significant pieces is just the health and life of the family. Um, I I noticed this and it, it's so striking to me. So I, I'm really blessed to be, I'm, I'm here in Moscow, Idaho. We've got New St. Andrews College here, but just down the street, we have Logos School, which is the basically the flagship of the classical Christian education movement. Uh, it was started in 1980. My wife was um, in that first kindergarten class. Um, and so all of my kids have gone through Logos. I've taught there. I also have coached their lacrosse team for a number of years. And um, we've, so I've gotten really involved in it. And one of the things I find really striking is um, the the academic performance of that school versus our local public school, which is really interesting because it's extremely well funded. If you if you I've done the work on the budget, I think that they're getting um, like two and a half times 
per student the 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 budget that Logos will get. So if you get say six thousand per student, they're getting something like uh, I, I believe it's fifteen to sixteen thousand per mm-hmm. student. This was a few years ago that I did that number. Anyhow, so they're getting way more money. It's a call. It's a university town, so it's very invested in education and everything. But if you look at just the simple things like um, percentage of national merit finalists, Logos will always destroy them. They do. They do far better just across the board, and the kids are sharper. They're delight to teach and all of that. And I always wonder, like, so what is the magic? Because they're not. It's not because they're spending so much money. It's not elite at all. It's they're in an old. The building is still this old uh, roller skating rink that they kind of repurposed to be a school. It's um, all, many of the families can't afford tuition at all. The church or the school figures out how to help them out. Um, so it's not super expensive, elite, or anything like that. And the thing that it dawned on me was how really what it comes down to is these are kids with families that are put together, um, with dads that are involved and engaged. Mom and dad are still married. Mom is there making dinner for them in the evening. And there is something about having a home that you go to that is healthy and put together where you're not wondering whether mom and dad will be here tonight. You're not wondering whether they'll be screaming and fighting. You're not wondering whether dad's going to come home drunk. You're not. And, and, and you just learning the, the old lessons of what it means, means to be a man or a woman, what it means to be diligent about your schoolwork, what it means to be honest about your academic, what it means to handle the bully at school, what it means learning all of those things from your parents completely changes your ability to, um, to receive an education. So I think, I think that's the, that's the first foundation is, is making sure your family is together and particularly men um, taking the lead to be present at home and to lead your family in these kinds of things and, and letting your, your, your kids know that you're engaged, that you're going to be at their football game, that you're going to be at their basketball game. You're going to read their homework and, and, and check their test results. Um, then after that, it's then defining like, what is a true education? And I think that was one of the things that the classical method did really well was stopping and saying, okay, what does it mean to truly educate somebody? It's not just teaching them a few vocational skills as well as um, teaching them to puppet certain politically correct, whatever um, mantras that are going on, but it's teaching them to actually think, to argue, to persuade, to understand what other people are truly saying, to work really hard on a long problem and to use your brain to figure it out. Isolating that as an education, I think is something that we just have completely forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, reminded you know to the, the 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 simplicity of you know the classical education to me the classical model and the classical learning and all that stuff I do think is to a certain degree icing on the cake and where the cake is made is in a, a father shepherding his household and being the the chief disciple maker in his home uh loving his wife as Christ loved the church um yeah. shepherding the hearts of his children and training them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and doing that paideia in the household and one of the things I think that Logos or Logos um, and, and Moscow also has that's really advantageous is, you know, you're not going to have kids going to Logos and they're going to pulling out their cell phones, showing each other pornography or, you know, whatever it's is, is it's it's not only is it um, the home, but you have a bunch of other people there. Those children are coming from good, healthy homes as well. And so that means you have a bunch of children that are from this healthy place in a, in a, in a it probably when took you, a long time, obviously, to to build what you guys have there. And I think there's a lot of people that look at that and like, oh, you know, 
it takes yeah. time and you got to build and you got to work towards it. And, um, yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a lot of different directions we could go on that, but yeah, you know, for fathers listening, um, before you start thinking, Oh, I know we'll pull our kids out of the public school and we'll put them into this classical Christian school down the street. Rem- remember that, that that's really, you know, trying to put a bandaid on a bullet wound. The, the real thing is, Hey, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing in the home? Are you doing family worship every night? Are you, you know, are you focused on, you know, the spiritual aspects of life and the, the, are you singing songs and, you know, hymns and spiritual songs in your home with your family? Are you teaching them that Jesus is King? And is that reflected in your household? These things matter most. But, and then the thing that always happens is once, once fathers start to do that, they immediately recognize the ridiculousness of sending their kids to to public schools. Oh. At least overall, it seems that way from the people I know who've kind of went into a family reformation where God you know, by his grace, opens the father's eyes to his responsibility, and he really clamps down and 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 starts to make that the center of his life is is loving his family and training his children. Um, a lot of the other dominoes just kind of seem to fall right after that. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's really true, and I think that what you were saying at the beginning there is is extremely important. Like when when you achieve um, when you achieve critical mass in a community it starts to have a really disproportionate effect on the next generation yeah. where where when you have a, a number of families um, linked together in uh, understanding a common goal for the community they kind of want to build, uh, that's that's really striking. And I think it's um, it's it's no it's no knock on homeschooling. Uh, my family we homeschooled for a few years when we lived in England, so I think that 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 can be a strategic and important form of education. But when you can band together, and maybe that's more like homeschooling co-op, or or maybe it's starting a classical school. But when you can band together where you start to develop a community um, built around those expectations, that becomes really powerful. And I do think that that's also why um, if I if I had to say, you know, like, what are the steps towards building like a really strong classical education? One, it's, you know, having fathers who lead their families, who are actually strong leaders of their families. The next would be pastors who understand the significance of um, ensuring this education and getting behind it and supporting it. I, I see a lot of schools that struggle because they've got a lot of families that are behind them, but no pastors that are behind them. And when you get pastors um, actually exhorting their congregation uh, towards Christian education and and the the duty that's on fathers to raise their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, then you start to get that larger cultural kind of movement that I think is really profound. One of the things I always found uh, striking, I was doing um, research on um, uh, doctrine of, of baptism a few years ago. I was reading a book on um, baptism in Calvin's Geneva. And one of the things that was really interesting, they practiced infant baptism. And when they, but they, when they baptized a child and the congregation said, amen, implicit in the amen was the congregation's mutual commitment to fund that child's Christian education. Wow. The, we're saying, we're saying that we will make sure that kid has Christian education Calvin himself personally funded a large number of kids uh, education because of how seriously he took that vow. They built schools and they committed to funding those schools and making sure those kids got the education that they had vowed to provide. Yeah. And I don't want to derail too much because I got a lot I want to cover with you, but you know, when you think about, and again, you know, you and I would obviously say it's an eschatological uh, issue, kind of our view of the end times and why you would do this versus that. But 
you know, those same people coming from that same, you know, Calvin's Geneva, you know, Reformation, Puritan kind of moving forward, Huguenots, Puritans on into who, who, who built Harvard, who built Yale, who built, you know, these were, yeah. these were solid, incredible Christians that understood the value of a, of a Christian, what, what we're discussing now, a classical Christian education and liberal arts uh, to make a well-rounded Christian individual that would, would not only be successful in making sure his soul got into heaven, but that he would be successful in, in every area of life because the gospel penetrates every area of life and, and he would be yeah. prepared for, for that and then teaching his children that. So I, I think, yeah, I think that's a really important point, just that idea of like a commitment to build because what I, and connecting it to your eschatology, I, I think is, is really significant because um, there, I see Christians, um, and, and I think this is particularly true of the more conservative of a Christian you are, there's an inclination to say, okay, the the school system that I'm looking at is corrupt, fallen, useless. And so what they tend to do is they tend to adopt the most defensive posture possible. Um, you pull your kids out of the public school. Great. Wonderful. And then, and then they say, well, okay, so I need, I still, they still have to get a college degree because they have to get a job. And then, and that's another big question. Do you really need a college degree to get a job? That's a, that's a, 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 I think not true and is accepted more than it should be. But a lot of people, they still want to get a college degree uh, in order to get a job. And so that's why they will skip their freshman and sophomore year. They'll find a, a community college where they can just, just, you know, get, do the bare minimum to get the degree um, and get in, get out without that school doing much to them. But the thing that I noticed is how much our posture in all of this is defensive, like pull out, pull out, pull out. Um, don't, don't let that affect them. Don't let that affect them. Just get the bare minimum out of here. And I really love to see the day when instead of being defensive, we go offensive Amen. where, where we say, no, I'm not, I'm not just pulling my kids out of that system. I'm building the system. I'm going to, I'm going to build school. I'm going to start the college. I'm going to build the educational system that they wish they were a part of. Um, instead of being on the outside, we need to say we're on the inside. We're God's people. We're the ones that are, that are expanding his kingdom. We need to be the ones who build and not be thinking about how to, how to get out as much as possible. We need to think about how do we build as much as possible. Yep. That's fabulous. All right. Um, <clears throat> I had a couple more questions kind of in that, the public education realm, but I think we can um, jump out of that. I mean, how, how familiar are you, I, I guess, well-versed uh, in the National Education Association and John Dewey? Is that an area that you can opine on at all? Or I know, I know bits, bits yeah. and bits. So one of the things that, that we're really trying to, to shine a light on here is, um, you know, is the, the National Education Association, you know, who basically came up with the idea of, of the public school system as it is today and John Dewey and all these people. These were all communists that were trying to figure out a way to, to take the larger population and turn them into communists. Right. And their mission oh, hasn't changed. It's just put on a different uniform with some new branding. But that is that is very much the 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 purpose and intent uh, of the public education system. I've had others on to talk about that, and that's probably a podcast I'll have to do in the future. But okay. I, I think I think that that story is extremely important. Um, Fox News did a um, a segment on that whole story with um, uh, Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin. David Goodwin's the head of the Association of Classical Christian Schools, and they did a multi episode. 
um, survey of just telling the story of what was actually going on in the founding of the public school system. Yeah. It is ideologically dead set. Well, I just saw uh, the Democratic, uh, the, the Democratic Party just did a, held a convention and they held it at the NEA office, which just tells you about how, yeah. <laughs> how that these two organizations are with one another. But I think the, the thing that you'll notice, and this goes back to what I was talking about with this idea of what is the purpose of an education, um, what, what, the, um, what that agenda wants to teach you is that um, they want to reprogram your understanding of what is the world and how the world is composed. And so basically the world is essentially the world of vocation, of work. And, and the world is this kind of humming machine. And in their understanding, it's the federal government's job to, to um, run the machine. It's the, it's the federal government's job to run the economy. Businesses answer to the federal government rather than in a free industry, the way we were supposed to be, um, America is supposed to be governed. They, they want all industry answering to the federal government, um, the, where the federal government has the ability to say, we're concerned about the coronavirus. Everybody shut down, go home. You yeah. can't work. To, um, where, where, where the federal government controls this machine and all the dials are turned by it. And so what's happened is, um, when you start to think of the world as simply that economy, then you are simply identified by your vocation. What are you certified to do? Yeah. And that makes you a cog in this machine. What may you What may you do? Well, the government gets to say, you may be an accountant because you passed this exam. You may be an attorney because you passed this exam. You may be. And so everything becomes about certification to be authorized to perform certain functions mm. so that you can go into their machine. And you've got this kind of humming machine that's whirring along and your job is to get a degree that makes you into a perfect cog in this machine. Um, and, but I'd say this, this is not how God created the world. You're, you're a Christian, you're a free man, you're a free woman. Um, the particularly, I believe the world of the entrepreneur is extremely important for us to claim. We have the right to go out and start a job, start a company, start a business. Uh, the land is there. Um, go do what you want, make it productive. I think this is, uh, I'm stealing from my father-in-law again, that idea of, you know, you mentioned um, the, the founding of Harvard. Um, when, when those pilgrims first showed up on the Eastern shore of the American continent, how many, how many jobs were waiting for them, right? Zero, zero jobs. How much work was waiting for them? Tons of work. There's yeah. all this Opportunity. In a very short amount of time, uh, they had started Harvard University. They built their roads, they built their homes, and they established a, a nation. That's how free people think. We look at the world and we say, this is, this is mine to subdue. Uh, well, it's Christ's and I subdue it uh, under him. Um, but the, the, this education machinery wants to think of yourself as a cog that has to get permission to do whatever you want. And then, and then, the federal funding is how that is controlled. You can have money to do that. You can't have money to do that. And, and we're increasingly thinking of the world of our entire economy as controlled by our federal government as if it's the government's job to create jobs. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and, and you think about it and again, and, and this goes into kind of the feminization of our society. Feminization is very um, nurturing, safety oriented and, and masculinity is very risk taking. 
And, yeah. you know, we, because, and again, I don't know chicken or egg on this, the feminization of our society, or maybe this created the feminization of society. So here you are, your mom and son's going to school. You want to make sure son gets good education and that he goes through this college. So he gets this degree so he can get that job. And then that way he's safe and he doesn't have to, you know, the, the worst thought I could ever think of is little, little Johnny not having a job. And that just keeps me up all night that he wouldn't have a job. So I'm going to go to the school and I'm going to do it, you know, and, and that is what is driving that, right? Is this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We feel like if we go through this thing, we'll give up all of the potential reward that would come with the risk. We'll give all that up because we're guaranteed this J-O-B, which is very much a cog in a machine. If I get this degree and this certification, I'll get this job and make this much money. And it's and, it, and that's all this. It's all, you know, sounds guarantee. And we like that guarantee. Well, like yeah. you said, when 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 the settlers showed up on the the the, the shores of, of 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 what is now the United States of America, there was no guarantees. You had to work, <laughs> and it, and it and it takes. And I'm gonna um kind of go off uh, chart here and, and and tee you up for what is liberal arts education, but yeah. you know we had to figure out um the things that needed to be done and do it. And to me, that's what a classical education does is it's not about this person gets out of uh, a classical Christian high school and then goes through a new St. Andrews, which is where, where you're the president of, which is classical Christian, um, that they're going to go through and that they're going to be ready for this job. No, they're going to be ready for the world. They're right. going to be ready to take on the world. They're going to be ready to get married and have children. They're going to be ready to start businesses. They're going to be ready to be that, that extremely, I run a business and the number two person in the business that's helping me run my business that I can just completely trust everything in the company to, and that it's going to get done. That's the type of people that we're going to be raising up and talk about this. I've heard you, you talk extensively about what is a liberal arts, you, you know, the, the word liberal makes everyone want to just like spinning head vomit, like the exorcist when you hear the word liberal, because yeah. it's been hijacked like everything else. What is liberal arts education? What does that mean? Yeah. So, so um, liberal arts, it comes from the Latin word liber and, and liber uh, refers to the, um, it means the free man as opposed to the hireling or the slave. So in the ancient culture, you'd have the free man, the citizen, and then you would have uh, slaves or hiring servants that did all the um, manual labor, you know, but the, the free man was the one who owned the farm, who, who made the decisions about here's what we're going to do. Um, the liberal arts education was um, it's it's a um, you know we we I I said that that uh, Moscow was ground zero for the recovery of classical Christian education in 1980 with Logos School, but what was happening was a sudden opening of the eyes to realize that the Christian Church has this long heritage that goes back to the ancient world of a certain kind of education, which is the education that built our nation, built our church, um, and we are recovering that education. So the, the liberal arts education was um, um, taking certain disciplines and using them not as ends to themselves, but as means for sharpening the mind in a particular way. So students at New St. Andrews read philosophy. They study philosophy, not because we're trying to train them to be um, have a job in philosophy, um, which would mean, I suppose, maybe being a barista or something like that. <laughs> what, what we're doing is we're using a tried and true method of working through certain texts to teach them how to argue, how to think, how to see, uh, make distinctions, how to understand nuance. Uh, we're, we're taking through the, 
them through the ancient art of rhetoric, which is teaching them how to communicate, how to persuade, how to put together an argument in a way that actually is convincing to other people. We're taking them through history, understand your place in the world. We're taking them through literature. We're taking them through theology, the queen of the sciences. It's this package of intellectual disciplines that teaches you to be a certain kind of person. And I I like how you described earlier that, that sense of, um, when we when we send our kids off to college, we we want them to have a degree that is um, named after a certain job, you know, mechanical engineering, because we believe it gives them a certain guarantee, a certain safety of well, you'll have this job, which will you know take care of you for life. And there's a there's a there's a federal money piece here because this is how we explain student loans. So. Um, if uh, if I'm going off to college and it's going to cost you know eighty thousand dollars, then right now we fund that by taking out eighty thousand dollars in federally subsidized student loans. Now student loans are that rare form of debt that you can qualify for by demonstrating that you have no way of paying for this. You know every other form of debt you have to show I can pay this. Um, student loans you show that I cannot pay this, and then you get eighty thousand dollars of debt. Why would you? Um, you know, as an 18 year old take on 80 grand in debt. Well, it's because you're, you're signing up for this degree, which promises you this job, which promises you this salary. Yep. And that salary is your return on the investment. This is how the argument is made to everybody sitting in every recruiter ac- office across America that, that you would actually be like losing money to not take out this loan because yeah. look at ROI. And meanwhile, everyone has $350,000 in student loans and they're never going to be yeah. able to pay it off. It's like the adjustable rate mortgage craze with the big balloon payments and everybody lost their houses. Same thing. Yep. And uh, well, and it's now being spread over the rest of America because education is too big to fail. Um, yeah. But, but the thing, the thing is interesting about that is, okay, so, so we, we do this because we think that it's safe. Um, uh, I'll get this degree, which gets me this job. But I would say increasingly, when we look at the world around us, this is less and less the important thing. The nature of um, careers, uh, we don't, um, when you get a job, you don't get a job and then just stay at that office for the rest of your life, slowly working your way up inside of that company. When you get a job now, you work there four or five years and then you move laterally and then you move laterally and then you move laterally. And this happens again and again, where it used to be that, you know, you became a, um, uh, you know, insurance broker, and you were that for life. Now it's it's increasingly the case that maybe you graduated and you started as an accountant, and then you worked in finance for a little bit, then you went into real estate, and then you decided to become a pastor. And and we move laterally. Um, our the the way technology is working, the skills that you learn in one moment, five years later, you have to relearn a whole new set of yeah. skills as technology changes and whatnot, it's far more important that you be the kind of person who knows how to learn, how to think, how to adapt, how to be creative. It's far more important that you be that kind of person than that you be a person who has one particular set of certifiable skills given to you by a college. When I talk to guys out in the industry now, overwhelmingly, almost every single boss will say, I don't care what college degree you got because Whatever it was you learned, they taught you wrong. The people that taught you are people that are so separated from the industry, they don't even know what we do anymore. And I have to reteach you everything that you learned in college. I, By far, it's way more important that you be the kind of person who I know can show up to work, 
you know, sober, not hungover, who is going to be honest and um, not try to embezzle or lie to me about everything that's going on or try to figure out how to uh, say you're going to work online, but you're quietly quitting, which is the new, new, yeah. you know, rage that you know how to actually work hard. And then most importantly, that you be somebody who knows how to think like, can you, can you sit and listen to me and understand what I'm saying and then say it back to me in a way that is, is that resembles what I was thinking? Can you, can you take instructions for me and go actually out and try to figure out how to apply them? Can you encounter a problem that I didn't prepare you specifically for? And yet you had enough common sense to creatively figure out how to actually deal with it. I see by far way more bosses are interested in that guy than they are in, oh, you've got a an Excel badge or you have a, you know, some um, computer programming coding badge. Um, they want this, not that. Yep. And that has always been the point of the liberal arts education to teach you to be the kind of person who can work hard, who can think and done inside of a classical Christian um, environment to be to um, to be far more than just a good employee, to be a good member of your church, a husband, uh, a father and all of those other things. Yep. Yeah. And I can say <clears throat> I've been running a business for about 18 months now and there's nothing more valuable than someone who, you know, is honest, hardworking and, and can learn quickly and think, think ahead and adjust and move on the fly and be creative. And I think what one of the bigger problems is going to be with, with, with being a, a business owner that hires those people is that those people are going to go and start their own businesses soon anyway. So you're probably going to get three or four years out of them before they're like, Hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to go create this thing. And then they yep. do it. Right. And so, yeah, um, yeah. it's pretty cool. Well, um, We've got just a few minutes left here, so I'll jump into um, letting you kind of go through the, the history of New St. Andrews and stuff. But one of the things I what I, I, I just absolutely love about New St. Andrews is your guys' commercials that you guys do. Um, you have to shake things up. How do you draw attention to a school in the Palouse, you know, like <laughs> that there's there's all this, you know, government money and everything else. You need to come to Texas Tech. You need to come to the University of Alabama. You need to come to... You know, and there's all this money that's get thrown away and then and then you move from there and then you go down to these community colleges and these technical schools and all this and they're flooding everything with all this advertising. It's like, okay, how do we stick out? How do we stand out? And in true to form to what you just described is what you produce uh, as graduates of New St. Andrews. Um, you guys have uh, figured out a very creative, uh, smart way uh, to jump in and shake things up with with some of your advertising. And so before we jump into that, um, I want to play one of the, one of these commercials, and then we'll play another one at the end. What are those fools doing? Now, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls of Christendom, he was greatly enraged, and he jeered. What are those fools doing? Can they restore all these ruins themselves? Will they sacrifice? Do they think they can finish in a day? Will they revive the charred and shattered stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And the priests of modern decay laughed, saying, If so much as a fox goes up on their wall, he will break down their city. So we built our walls, for the people had a mind to work. And in the ruins of the West, we laid our foundations. From that day on, half of us worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And those who carried burdens were trained to labor on the work with one hand, and hold a weapon to defend it with the other and all had a sword strapped to their sides and a tool in their hands. In the ruins we live, even while we rebuild them. In the ruins we marry and make love and raise children who raise the walls. In the ruins we craft wine and raise sanctuaries and barns. 
in the ruins we build and we film and we write and we read and we sing and we laugh and play rugby with pumpkins. In the ruins we raise our hands with swords and shovels and bless the Lord, for the earth is his and all who dwell therein. And each day, by his grace, we are less ruined. Each day our walls and our loves and our songs grow taller. For the city is a living city, and we are living stones. that was really good. Um, let's talk about now. And, and I assume some of the people that are making these commercials are these new St. Andrews grads that are working at the yeah, place. Yeah, this, right. And so uh, I would say that's a hundred percent. I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, I would love to create a funnel with you on new St. Andrews grads coming to work for me. Um, we've got rich lust church right here down the road. So they, they would be able to just jump right in there and, uh, they can help me build my kingdom. So <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so tell us about new St. Andrews. What is it? What do you guys do? What makes you different? Why should people go there? The history just hit me. Yeah. So yeah, NSA was started in 1994. So if you do the math, Logos started in 1980. My wife was uh, in that first kindergarten class. NSA started in 1994. That's her freshman year at college. So she was in that first freshman class. Um, I married her uh, a, a couple of years later. Um, and I began teaching at the school 99, I think. And then uh, I became president uh, eight years ago. So um, that's I've been fairly connected to the school from the, from the very beginning. Um, a few things unique about NSA, uh, as I already mentioned, no, no federal money. We do not take any Pell grants, no uh, federally subsidized student loans. Uh, nobody who is now shouldering the burden for student loan forgiveness, if that actually happens, because it's legally dubious, uh, you will not be getting any um, debt from an NSA student loan. Um, and uh, and we also said no to all of the PPP money. So we, we're very hard on no government money. We want to keep um, our no strings attached so that we can stay clear to our principles. Um, we also are, our undergraduate degree is a liberal arts degree. It's a general liberal arts degree. We're not doing vocational certification. We're trying to take train the entire uh, man, woman to do any number of different things to glorify God. Um, and uh, another thing that's interesting about us, is we say no dorms. We don't want uh, like a little imaginary city where you have a cafeteria and everything taken care of you. We tell our students, go get an apartment, learn how to cook, learn how to do your own laundry, um, be a man, be a woman. And I think that that does a lot for helping them to actually um, enter real life more quickly. Um, we, uh, we are a 40 hour a week school. We're not uh, 17 and a half hours. It takes real yeah. work to do the curriculum here. It's quite rigorous. Um, but in the end, uh, that combination of that rigorous education, but lived out in the midst of this really vibrant and intense Christian community has an incredible effect on the lives of these students. One of the statistics that I am uh, most intrigued by is our alumni after 15 years after graduation, I think we have, it's 
maybe a 3% divorce rate, uh, which really says something about like the foundation that's being laid during their years that is here. I think that that's really significant and completely unlike the the national average, which I don't even know where it is uh, at this point. Um, and so uh, we've, we have over the last couple of years, you know, we didn't require masks, no vaccines or anything like that. So we've been seeing a real surge in enrollment and interest. We're definitely in a growth period right now. I'm working like crazy to try to um, build more buildings and or remodel more buildings so that we can handle the, the growth that we're experiencing. Awesome. Well, um, can maybe close with this. I um done some big time, well, big time uh, political fundraising in my background, or at least worked in that space, raising for a, a nonprofit that was called American Private Radio and our American stories with a guy, Lee Habib. And, and I got to meet some really interesting people and do some interesting things with them. And one of them, we went and did this big, massive fundraiser in Dallas, Texas. And then we went to Houston and there ended up being like a hurricane in Houston. So I got to just hang out with Newt Gingrich all day because all the stuff got canceled. That's another point. But when we were in Dallas, there was all these billionaires in this room. And I got to be in there with Newt Gingrich and Lee and a couple other people. And then all these billionaires. And he looked at them and he just said, why do you guys do it? And everyone, and again, this is Newt Gingrich. Like, so everyone just sits there and listens, you know, sir, what are you talking about? You know, even billionaires look at Newt Gingrich this way. The guy just commits gravitas big time. And he goes, you guys are sitting here and you guys write million dollar checks to these universities over and over and over. And you're funding these things and you send your kids there and you know, you know what they're doing. You know what they're teaching you know what their goal is, you know what they're doing, and you just keep cutting checks, and you keep cutting checks, and you keep sending your kids, and you just keep doing it because you have this weird loyalty of being an alumni of such and such university, and I graduated, and I was in this beta, beta, theta, zeta, whatever, chi fraternity or whatever, and I want yeah. my kid to have that. Well, it ain't that university anymore, right? And this is Newt Gingrich telling all these billionaires who's probably each of them have done 10 to 100 million a piece at their university and yep. just telling them, stop, what are you doing? And so while we're not billionaires that can send millions to these universities, we have something that's infinitely more valuable and it's our children, right? And so I think um, if you're listening to this and you have a kid that's 10th, 11th, 12th grade, uh, and they're looking at colleges and you have that weird nostalgia of remembering your college days. You're like, oh, I want Billy to go to whatever university that you went to and have this great time that you had that was so wonderful and developmental in your life. That's not what they're getting. That's not what's yeah. happening anymore. Yeah. And I would strongly encourage everyone to look into New St. Andrews uh, as an option uh, because it's incredible. You know, my son wants to go there. My son got to meet Ben that day. Um, you know, he wants to go there. It's in Idaho. We're in Alabama, you know, that <laughs> it's a trip, but, but again, that's four years that he's going to develop and turn into a man, uh, yep. and come back ready to ready to build God's kingdom, uh, and take on the world. So, uh, I've, I, I have seven children. We just had our seventh children. So our seventh child. Um, so we may, you know, be, you know, funding, uh, funding you guys quite a bit if we don't build something similar down here. Well, good stuff. Um, Again, Ben, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. I'm dead serious about creating a pipeline from New St. Andrews to 1890 News. Uh, we, we, would, we would love to hire people from there and, and, and have them move here. Um, you know, do you have any final thoughts, closing thoughts? 
uh, no, I really, really appreciate your uh, your introduction here and uh, and definitely encourage anybody in your audience to check us out, nsa.edu. Um, look at the webpage. Um, definitely, uh, we, we have a, a worldview camp that we do for high school students in the summer. If, um, if you'd be interested in sending your kids to that, it's a good way to check us out. I always say come and visit is, is the best way to understand whether NSA is right for you. Um, but um, consider supporting us. We definitely appreciate it. But I also even, even more importantly that we think about um, nationally as, as a church doing a lot more to rebuild an education structure that displaces that government system. Amen. Well, good stuff. All right, guys, we're going to end with another commercial from them. Go on to YouTube and just look up new St. Andrews commercials just for the giggles of it. It's really good stuff. You'll love it. You'll enjoy it. And you'll get a feel for uh, the stuff they're made of. All right. Well, until next time, guys, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Hey, wokey McWoke face. Quick question. This black life mattered. But doesn't this one? We know this black life matters, but why doesn't this one? We believe that all these black lives mattered, and tens of millions of others too, murdered in the most dangerous place in this country for any black life, a womb, murdered and dissected and sold. We believe that each and every human life matters because every human life, regardless of culture or color, is crafted in the sacred image of Almighty God which is the only possible reason why any life could matter at all. We believe that secular progressive white supremacists have been running a vile and genocidal population control campaign against blacks in America that has straddled centuries, trying to keep them from life, from adulthood, from power, from stable families and communities. And that matters. We believe that the organization Black Lives Matter, registered trademark, is a Marxist front that doesn't care about black lives even half as much as an average white pro-life flyover Trump voting evangelical. Every single black life matters, from conception to the grave and beyond into eternity. That is God's truth, and it's a hell of a lot more than BLM can say. This shouldn't be hard, but clear thinking is rare these days, especially on college campuses. All lives matter. All black lives matter. All. Behind a badge. On the street. In the womb. Philosophy matters. Theology matters. History matters. Thinking matters. Learn to think in unthinking times. New St. Andrews College. Clear thinking. Clear teaching in person this fall.